midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to Friday as we wrap up the week's information and get you ready for a weekend going into what is, I guess you'd call it, the teeth of summer looking us right in the face. We have information from sports, from business. We have, first off, Jesse Harding with a look at ag headlines. So we had the Nebraska Farm Bureau's Agriculture Economic Technology Summit this week, mm-hmm. and we got to help MC that. And I said the two things that I discussed the most about policy in D.C. is trade. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure we got most of that yesterday. The second is Farm Bill. So that's what a lot of today's program is going to be on. And the Senate Ag Committee held a hearing this week about the 2018 Farm Bill research going into that. We'll get a little bit more of that at the 1213. USDA just about an hour ago also granted an extension on CRP grazing in Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas due to wildfires. So we'll get more information about what that contains. For the 1219, Shaley Peters is joined with Al Dutcher, a Nebraska State climatologist, on what we can expect this upcoming week. For the newsmaker, I am joined with Mary Kay Thatcher. She is a lobbyist with American Farm Bureau. She was also one of the keynote speakers at that Technology and Ag Economic Summit, and she discusses the 2018 Farm Bill, what she's hearing in Washington, D.C., and we're going to specifically talk a lot about crop insurance and conservation programs. And then today is Friday. So for the 117, we're getting the latest Fridays in the field episode. And this time it's with Bella Guzman out of our sister station at KNEB. And she's talking with Jeff Pohl. He's a farmer and cow-calf operator around Bridgeport, Nebraska. They discuss his planting season, irrigation, and a little bit more about dry edible beans as well. Sounds like a great series. We'll uh, follow that all summer long for us here. Over to sports we go with Jason Jorgensen. CWS starts up this weekend. They should have some decent weather tomorrow and also on Sunday in Omaha. We will get the thoughts of former Husker assistant coach Rob Childress. He has been the head coach at Texas A&M for quite some time. He's had a lot of success with the Aggies. When you see him in Omaha with the team, you can't help but think... <laughs> Why? (laughs) But But he was a Texas guy. Yeah, you've got the whole Texas thing going on. They play baseball, you know, 385 days a year. Right. And, uh, yeah, he could have been the coach at Nebraska, but he wanted to be in Texas. But we we will get his thoughts about uh, his team being on the uh, same bracket as fellow Big 12 rival TCU. Also, they are into the second day of action at the U.S. Open. That's going on in Hartford, Wisconsin. You ever been there, Jesse? To the Open or Yeah, Hartford, Hartford. Wisconsin at yes. Aaron Hills. Have you played a few rounds there? I don't golf. Okay. They I have been to Hartford, drink, They though. say don't drink the water. Is <laughs> <laughs> it a nice place? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I live here in Nebraska now, not Wisconsin. All right. Well, I figured you'd been through, so I'm, I'm just checking. Also, we will talk about the 40th annual 8-Man All-Star Football Game, which is coming up in Hastings. Big anniversary for those folks in the Sertoma Bunch. What fun. So much fun to watch 8th Man. They moved the game. Normally it's been in the afternoon. Tomorrow night it's at 6. Okay. Well, that shouldn't save a few people some heat strokes. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go over to Dave Schroeder, who's filling in for Bob Brogan. Yes. Well, the Dow was down 33 points at mid-morning today and now climbed back up to around 9 points above uh, right now. Uh, Amazon uh, is buying wholesale food market or whole foods market, which is an interesting transaction there. We'll tell more about that. Are you ready to buy your food online? No. I don't know about <laughs> that. We'll find out more on today's midday. 
Paul Perkins steps in with a look at our regional ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Could be some regional weather today, huh? Yeah, especially into eastern areas of central Nebraska and central and east Kansas. Pretty much a, a pretty good severe threat later on for today. Thanks to a front that's kind of draped across the region. Some thunderstorms possible late today right near a front. Currently it's stretched from about central Nebraska to western Kansas. And any of these storms that do develop, likely to go severe. Now, currently, the slight risk for severe storms along and east of the line from O'Neill to Kearney to Hayes in Kansas. There is a higher enhanced risk of severe storms covering much of eastern Nebraska and northeast Kansas. And that is along and east of the line right along Highway 81 from Columbus down to York and to the Concordia area. Now, temperatures, once again, already unseasonably warm. We're already up to 93 currently at Ogallala, and that surpasses what they were forecast to see for temperatures today. Temperatures, once again, on that unseasonably warm side, but we'll get closer to seasonal for tomorrow. Higher humidity as you go farther to the east is going to make it feel like it's close to 100 for today, but cooler temperatures are on the way for tomorrow behind this front that's moving through. Cloud cover and rain chances also increase late tomorrow into tomorrow night with the passage of another cold front. Due to low instability, we should see just some rain chances with this system tomorrow. Not any thunderstorms and definitely not any severe weather, at least across the west and central. The severe weather chances are going to be farther off towards the east. Now, much warmer temperatures do start spreading northeast early next week as the ridge of high pressure expands across the desert southwest. Increasing moisture may bring us some pop-up thunderstorms by the middle part of the week. In our long-term forecast, there's a good chance of warmer than normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas the middle of next week through June 29th. So the end of June, pretty much going to end on a warmer than normal note. For reference in central Nebraska, our daytime highs in late June usually average in the mid-80s with overnight lows around 60. Near normal to below normal precipitation is the outlook for Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the 29th. Weather factors affecting the markets today include much milder temperatures with rain for the Midwest during the weekend and those reduced spring wheat productions from the recent dryness across the northern plains in the next few days. Unsettled rainy weather will prevail across the eastern third of the U.S. Extreme heat will prevail across the southern plains. Record-setting heat expected to arrive during the weekend and persist into next week in California and the desert southwest. And you don't like to hear record-setting heat in the desert southwest in the middle of summer because that includes highs projected to be up around 121 in Phoenix by Tuesday. Oh, my heavens. And we're not even officially in summer. Yeah, summer just finally arrives by the middle part of next week. So it could be a long, hot summer as you head towards the desert southwest. But, yeah, record heat in the desert southwest in summer. Not a good combination of words there. Rain and more seasonal temperatures in the Midwest will improve the conditions for developing crops after their recent heat. Across the southern plains, the heat and dry conditions look to benefit the maturing wheat and the harvest effort. In the northern plains, some light rain and temperatures at near or below normal will help out with the row crops, but the recent heat and dryness in the northern plains already reduced that projection for spring wheat production. Now, rain this week in the Canadian prairies improved their conditions for developing crops in the south, central, and east after an extended dry spell. 
The rain over central and north Alberta and northwest Saskatchewan will keep it just too wet for the field work and may promote some increased disease there. Now, as we have that rainfall and a little more uh, moisture potential, that means uh, a lot more humidity, and it's going to feel hotter than it even is in eastern Nebraska. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right now, those dew points, uh, just checking yeah, into the mid-60s right now into the eastern part of Nebraska, not and kind of getting that way into central areas of Nebraska, we have dew points in the low 60s right towards the Lexington area. But as you head towards Kearney and towards the east, those dew points into the mid-60s. And so it's starting to really feel a lot more humid. But that front should start to alleviate that as we move through the weekend. Sunday for Father's Day really looking nice with highs in the upper 70s across much of the area. Be a nice break. All right, thanks very much, Paul. Appreciate it. The Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And when you need weather anytime, krbn.com. Look at agriculture information on the World Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Today, the USDA granted an extension of the emergency grazing on CRP lands through September 30th for areas areas of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas impacted by recent wildfires. This letter from Secretary Purdue comes in response to a letter sent by Congressman Marshall Thornberry and Lucas to USDA requesting an extension of the authorized emergency grazing on CRP CRP lands located in Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma. Congressman Roger Marshall says, and I quote, I want to thank Secretary Purdue and the USDA for responding to the needs of cattle producers across the wildfire-damaged areas. This extension should give grass additional time to recover and producers additional time to rebuild fences and other facilities destroyed by the fire. I appreciate the Secretary and USDA utilizing the flexibility they have to help restore these hard-working Kansans, end of quote. In the Senate Ag Committee held a hearing to address the need for research as they prepare for the 2018 Farm Bill. Dr. Chinova Jacobs, young administrator for Agriculture Research Service, was questioned on the work done at the Range and Livestock Lab in Montana in the Sheep Experiment experiment Station in Idaho. So in Des Moines, Idaho, one of the things that we are um, working on there is sheep production. And one of the beauties and the unique uh, nature of the Du Bois location is the opportunity to graze in higher elevations to be able to study the interface between wildlife and domestic um, animals. Mm-hmm. Um, as you most likely know, for many years we've not been able to graze in those higher elevations because of legal challenges to the uh, interface and the possibility of impact on grizzly bears and uh, bighorn sheep. And so we've been we've been faced with those lawsuits for I think since 2007, and so we've had some difficulty completing our mission at uh, Du Bois, Idaho, in terms of the grazing patterns that we're trying to research. Um, in Miles City, uh, Montana, we also look at rangeland management and um, of livestock and beef, and so we have some very important work that's being conducted where the goals of the work in both of those locations are critically important, um, and in some cases we have some some challenges on being able to conduct that research. Senators stressed that in the past administrations, these research stations were targeted in budget cuts, but the research they do provides valuable information for all sectors of the livestock industry. And the Arkansas Agriculture Department is investigating more reports of dicamba misuse complaints. 
Arkansas Agriculture Secretary Wes Ward says that there are currently 50 alleged dicamba misuse complaints this year in the state. Those complaints, according to Ward, are currently under investigation. The state's plant board is handling the investigations and is encouraging farmers to report any potential dicamba misuse or drift issues. Drift issues of dicamba-based herbicides were reported in Alabama, Arkansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas, among other states last year. A group of farmers filed a class action lawsuit against Monsanto in February over the issue. Additionally, an Arkansas farmer was shot and killed during a dispute over dicamba drift near the Missouri-Arkansas border last year. In Arkansas, is planning a series of public meetings that begins on Friday to to keep producers informed on the investigation process. That's been a look at agriculture information. For more, you can find it anytime online by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. Shaley Peters joining you on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, you called it on the nose last Friday, volatile weather for this past week. And we certainly got that in parts of the state with some rain and hail especially. But other parts of the state bone dry throughout these weather events. Uh, Can we expect that uh, headed into this next week as well? Well, I think uh, kind of looking at the same thing, at least in eastern Nebraska, into this first part of the weekend, I think the big horse is where are the thunderstorms going to initiate today? The Severe Storms Prediction Center is indicating you know, most of eastern Nebraska would be under the gun for severe thunderstorm development. At that point, we may see an isolated tornado, but I think the biggest threat is going to be hail and strong winds. And as, a th- as those thunderstorms cluster, then we would get what we call a, a mesoscale convective complex, or just a glorified word for for a large complex of thunderstorms that merge and then start to move. So east, central, and southeast Nebraska probably have the best chances for precipitation, little less, lesser chances as we go into northeast Nebraska. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I think the western half of the state is probably going to be remain pretty much precipitation-free until we see the cold front move into the state as we go into tomorrow. And right now, it looks like all of the active weather with that frontal boundary will remain east of the state. So we might see some post-precip or post-frontal boundary precipitation but it doesn't look like it's going to be anything of any consequence and we bring some cooler air into the region for a very nice father's day things should be very calm a glorious day i think we'll be hard pressed to get into the low 80s even in our warmer areas of the state this looks like a nice cool down then we start to see the ridge rebuild back into the region from the west that creates a northwest flow on the front side of the ridge and will gradually increase our temperatures into the midweek period. There is, of course, showing some scattered thunderstorms possibly developing in that northwest flow, but timing is really a major issue. And, and, and honestly, there's not a lot of support for widespread thunderstorms. So anything that develops will probably be very isolated if it even does develop. And then we're looking at yet another frontal boundary system starting to move into the region as we get into late next week. And this one looks like it has some pretty significant cold air punch to it. So with that cold air punch, we'll probably see a little bit more thunderstorm development. All right now, it's a little uncertain where they'll lie, but it certainly does push uh, at least a frontal boundary through the state from north to south, giving everybody an opportunity for moisture. And then we start to see the heat rebuilding for the end of the month. And from that point on, a lot of uncertainty. We're in that summertime mode. So, you know, well, week out is about all we're going to accurately be able to forecast if you want to call it accurate and after that it's more of a crapshoot but a more concern to me is the warm air moving in and the fact that we do have areas of the state that have 
basically missed out on this precip, particularly when we looked at the frontal boundary moving through the state earlier this week that hit the panhandle with the severe weather, kind of skipped over western Nebraska. And then, of course, we see the reformation of thunderstorms in central Nebraska eastward. So from a drought monitor standpoint, if we fail to get good precipitation here over the next couple days, um, I would suspect that you will see an expansion of abnormally dry conditions into a considerable portion of the area from northeast Nebraska all the way through southwest Nebraska, where they missed out on those earlier precipitation events during the uh, during the first part of this week. And then, of course, you start to worry about how quickly can things get out of control. So precipitation is an important criteria at this point in time. I'd like to see some in those areas that have missed out on some of these recent precipitation events. But the reality is most of the more significant moisture is kind of looking like it's going to be over the eastern half of the state and less so over the western half of the state. All right. Thanks, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher visiting with us this week. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the College World Series fires up tomorrow. Oregon State takes on Cal State Fullerton at 2 Central. LSU battles Florida State tomorrow night at 7. On Sunday, Louisville squares off with Texas A&M on the early game. Former Husker assistant Rob Childress has Texas A&M back at the CWS again, and he was asked about Big 12 rival TCU being on their side of the bracket. You know, something we haven't addressed. I mean, our whole focus is Louisville and, and trying to move on to Tuesday, and we'll certainly be playing one of these two guys, and Hopefully it's a later game and not the early game. But uh, we played TCU earlier in the year. We've had some some barn burners with them the last two or three years. And, you know, if we do match up with them again, I would expect the same. The late game on Sunday has Florida against TCU. Roy McRoy and Jason Day are trying to make up ground of the U.S. Open, not on the leader, but on the cut line. McElroy and Day are coming up their worst scores ever in a U.S. Open, mainly because they couldn't keep the ball on the fairway. Ricky Fowler opened up with a 765. He doesn't play until this afternoon. And among those trying to chase him down is Paul Casey of England, who's just one shot behind. The top 60 and ties make the cut of the U.S. Open. There's no longer a 10-shot rule that would allow anyone within 10 shots of the lead to make the cut. Lorenzo Kane and Alex Gordon hit solo home runs as the Royals picked up their fifth consecutive victory as they blasted the Angels last night 7-2. The streaking Royals have been getting it done with power, clubbing 14 homers in this unbeaten stretch. Second baseman Whit Merrifield, who's also risen his average to over 300 on the year, says Kansas City always knew this was possible. Like, you know, like I've been saying, we, we know from the get-go we have, we have a good team and we just haven't played up to our standards. Matt Strom pitched well in his first start of the season to gain the win. The Royals have scored 42 runs in their last five games. And the Rockies have regained sole possession of first place in the National League West, but they did it after blowing an eight-run lead to the visiting San Francisco Giants. The Giants scored eight times in their final three at-bats before the Rockies won the game with an RBI single in the bottom of the ninth. To win that one 10-9, Greg Holland got the win after blowing a save for the first time in 24 chances. And the annual Sertoma eight-man all-star football game is set for tomorrow night in Hastings at Hastings College. It's a 40th annual game between the East and the West. The head coach to the West team is Carly Wells of Perkins County. The head coach to the East is Chris Adrisono of Burning Davenport Shickley. Kickoff this year has been pushed back to 6 o'clock Central tomorrow night. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
For this afternoon's forecast, we'll be mostly sunny and hot with a high near 95. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 61. I'm Ellen Laird. The Robert Henry Museum in Cozad is hosting an arts festival in honor of the internationally known Cozad native on his birthday, June 24th. Museum director Caroline Goodrow has more. This is our second annual Robert Henry Arts Festival. We are celebrating Robert's birthday. He would be 152 on June 24th, so we are having an arts festival that day. Um, We're going to have local artists and artisans. They're going to demonstrate their work and also have it for sale. Um, We also have a food vendor and some kids' activities going on. It's going to be very fun. The museum and art gallery will be open during the festival and admission is free. An FBI special agent who died in the line of duty 84 years ago will be honored for his sacrifice with a ceremony Saturday morning in Omaha's Resurrection Cemetery. On the morning of June 17, 1933, Caffrey became one of the victims of the infamous Kansas City Massacre, an event which shocked the conscience of the nation and led to historic changes in law and the FBI. Caffrey and the other law enforcement officers were ambushed at Kansas City's Union Station as they were meeting other FBI agents who were returning a prisoner. Omaha FBI Special Agent in Charge Randy Tice commented that Prior to the event, the agency did not have statutory authority to carry firearms and make arrests, but a year later, Congress enacted laws giving the FBI authority to carry guns and make arrests. Special Agent Caffrey was born in May 1902 in McCook, Nebraska. After attending Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska and being admitted to the Nebraska Bar, he entered on duty with the FBI. As a special agent with the Bureau, Special Agent Caffrey worked in the Boston, Charlotte, and Kansas City offices. At least one health insurer plans to sell individual policies in Nebraska next year that meet Affordable Care Act standards. Medica Health announced Thursday that it expects to file a rate request next week for statewide insurance for 2018 with the Nebraska Department of Insurance. The decision affects nearly 100,000 people who had individual policies in Nebraska this year. Medica currently insures about 36,000 people in the state. Nebraska's first college is celebrating its 150th birthday. The Omaha World Herald reports that Peru State College is kicking off its string of campus events with an all-college reunion this weekend. The university was originally named the Nebraska State Normal School. It was established by the legislature in 1867, three months after the state was admitted into the union and two years before the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. We want your news videos and photos. Tip us under the news tab at krbn.com. In the News Center, I'm Ellen Laird. Taking place this week was the first ever Agricultural Economic and Technology Summit, which was hosted by Nebraska Farm Bureau. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. One of the keynote speakers was Mary Kay Thatcher. She is a lobbyist with American Farm Bureau. She discusses with the Rural Radio Network what some of the thoughts and feelings are back in Washington, D.C. when it relates to the 2018 Farm Bill. Well, I think in D.C. we're struggling with, you know, how do we make sure we get enough money to ride a farm bill that has an adequate safety net? I think we're going to be very fortunate to have a farm bill that's just flat baseline instead of cuts coming at us. Uh, and we know that we're going to have a lot of folks out after us, especially as, it, as we look at things like means testing and payment limitations for crop insurance, conservation, more for commodity programs, et cetera. 
when it does come to crop insurance, it always seems to come up on the chopping block. It's always a topic of conversation, but it already has been so far for 2018 Farm Bill. What are some of those things that you're hearing and are hoping will go as the conversation continues? Well, I think the biggest issues we face indeed are cuts to the subsidies and cuts to people who have a higher level of adjusted gross income. Those amendments have been offered before. We've uh, failed before. We've come close on some of them. Um, But so far, we don't have those kinds of payment limits on the crop insurance program. And I think it's important for farmers to uh, help members of Congress understand that if you take the big guys out. That's where, generally speaking, the less risk is. And so if you take out the less risky and you have an actually sound program, then it's going to mean premiums have to be higher for everyone else. So we'd like to make sure that we keep as many people involved. You know, we went to crop insurance where farmers have in skin in the game by paying part of the premiums to get rid of ad hoc disaster assistance, and we certainly don't want to move back in that direction. Obviously, with the economy right now, a lot of producers are concerned about it and about some of those marketing programs as well. What is something that could be done on that front for producers? Well, certainly we have to remind members of Congress that you write a farm bill for bad times, not for good. And these are trying times and could get to be worse in the next year or two. And we're going to need that safety net. You know, I think the thing people forget is they see articles in the paper about, oh, farmers get some subsidies. But when you look at where we are in comparison to farmers around the world, uh, you know, every year there's a group called the Organization of Economic Cooperative Development. And they look at the 30 developed countries in the world. And if my numbers serve me right, um, uh, the average subsidies paid to farmers, be it through tariffs or subsidies like we have or transportation subsidies, is is 18 or 19 percent. And here in the U.S., we're at 8 or 9 percent. So we're less than half of the average. And you look at somebody like Japan, who was in the trade uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, they're up in the 60 percent range. So we've got to have these to make sure that we're not having to compete on our own against other people in other countries who get tons of support from their government. Obviously, conservation groups are in favor of CRP, those types of programs. Farmers also utilizing them because of the economy. What are you hearing where it might stand for 2018? Well, there's a lot of people who would like to have more land in the CRP, um, especially when prices are tougher. They figure, well, maybe people can pop lands into there. I think that's going to be a very expensive proposition. Um, and that, you know, in order to spend $4 billion or $10 billion more for conservation programs, you're going to have to make cuts in crop insurance or commodities, and people aren't going to be very excited about that. So all in all, I would not expect a farm bill that has major changes in it, especially like the last farm bill. I expected it to be more tweaks because we're not going to have new money to be able to write new programs. When it comes to Kansas and Nebraska, we have two new representatives that do serve on the House Ag Committee. When it comes to that, how can producers get involved, even if they're not in that district, to help share the word of agriculture and what means to them for the upcoming Farm Bill? Well, I think with both Mr. Marshall and Mr. Bacon that, you know, they're obviously interested. They're paying attention. They've, um, I think, engaged with agriculture early and often in the first few months and and before their election, for that matter. But um, those are people who can carry the word to the leadership, uh, the leadership in the House and Senate Ag Committees, the leadership in the the House. And um, so we need to utilize them because uh, what they don't understand about agriculture yet, I think they will very soon. I think they're on a high-speed treadmill track and get up to speed about it. And uh, they know that agriculture people were important in electing them. 
If someone is curious about more information about the Farm Bill, whether it's Farm Bureau stance or not, where can they go to get some more of that information to better make themselves aware on those issues? So, I mean, we have a website, fb.org, and you can look in there under issues, and we have 60-some options papers on agriculture, and uh, you can read those. Certainly the House and Senate Ag Committee have uh, good websites, as well as um, USDA, specifically probably the Farm Service Agency on the USDA website. We've been talking with Mary Kay Thatcher. She is a lobbyist with American Farm Bureau discussing some of the things that might be upcoming for the 2018 Farm Bill. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Livestock futures trading today was mostly higher in live and feeder cattle. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities Unavailable Today, will bring you the latest in this mixed trade that was in the live cattle contracts for a while. Traders were at least trying to square positions at the end of the week, kind of following uh, this volatile uh, last few days as well. June live cattle had hacked away from early support, and prices ended up being lower in that June contract. In fact, it settled at 121.70 today, still growing concern that long-term liquidation may develop and prices would continue to shift lower through the next month. That's usually the case seasonally, according to some analysts, that we see these cattle futures drop during the summer. Meanwhile, buyer activity moved into the feeder cattle contracts again, allowing traders to break away from that choppy up-and-down move over the last few trading sessions. And there was early pressure that eased in the lean hog contracts, and we actually finished a couple months higher, and then October and December were lower. As we move to the cash cattle trade, just a few scattered bids were noted at midday today. Uh, Most areas probably need to move more cattle, but as we've said, the psychology is is off that uh, pretty much both sides may be tired of negotiating and throwing the towel, call it a week, and wait till next week. We did see activity this week considerably lower in prices than last week. Total Cattle slaughter through Saturday estimated 628,000, 2,000 more, 6,000 more than last week, 22,000 more than the same period a year ago. Hog slaughter this week estimated 2,179,000, 13,000 less than last week. I'm Dewey Nelson. It's time again for Fridays in the Field, a weekly discussion with producers across the state to see how their growing season is going. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman, and we're chatting with Jeff Pohl, a farmer and calf cow operator in the Bridgeport area. Jeff, it seems most farmers are done with planting. How about your farm? We uh, just finished plant beans a few days ago, just probably on schedule or where we should be. The corn has been planted earlier, and and it's coming along good. It's probably on schedule again where it should be although it isn't ahead at all we our warm weather has just came recently so now it's all of a sudden this last week starting to grow uh for instance my operation we just finished spraying at least the first time over the corn so we're finished spraying the corn and we've just finished with the beans now what we will be starting next is as in the next few days we will start uh cutting hay and we will cut and we use a round baler so we'll cut and then round bale that then Jeff's operation has 2,500 acres of irrigated fields and another 200 to 300 acres of dry land. Jeff, you have a pretty diversified operation. Can you tell us more about why you grow so many crops? Economics, to start with. Don't have maybe all of our eggs in one basket. Uh, The alfalfa works as a feed for our cattle and also a cash crop, but also we use alfalfa to 
it puts uh, nitrogen back in the ground, so we have a piece of ground that isn't producing. We'll plant alfalfa to build the ground back up so it raises better. Corn, the cash crop, beans. We rotate corn and beans a little bit. We try to. The rotation process works better as far as weeds and soil fertility. The dryland wheat, we've just worked into rotation now and then after our bean crops we plant as another rotation crop. So out of the crops that you have, can you tell us which one is your favorite or which one is your least favorite? I probably, Great Northern Beans are probably my least favorite to raise, but uh, corn's probably the one I enjoy sitting in a combine, corn, uh, but uh, economics plays the most part in what we do. Uh, whichever one is economic, making more money or feasible for us, we probably favor them acres, although we do use some rotation to kind of help the soil fertility. So, Jeff, you said you have some dry land, but much of it is irrigated, including some of your wheat. Can you tell us some differences in moving from tube irrigation to pivot? Uh, when we first come to this part of the country when I was a kid, I remember everything was irrigated with tubes and uh, with canal irrigation. Now most of my ground is underneath center pivot. I actually pull water out of the canal water and run it through our center pivots and then with a few wells also. But mostly center pivot, ir- center pivot irrigation, which just saves us labor. We have a lot less labor than we used to have. Time and labor has, in a sense allows us to farm more acres with uh, less inputs. Jeff, with the wheat almost ready, what are some of the diseases or pests you are keeping an eye on in your fields? At the moment, it's a little bit young, so we're not probably looking for a lot. The wheat uh, we're watching right now, for instance, maybe some rust problems or mosaic is another disease that's come into the area, and some of which we can do something with, some of which we can't. Uh, I think the mosaic, I'm not sure only much we can do with it. Now the rust, we've put on some... Uh, fungicide to kind of help prevent that so we're watching for them diseases uh the corn at the moment is probably young and not looking for a lot it'll come later on in the year we'll start looking for uh, whether it be rootworm beetles and stuff like that but it'll be a little while before we start looking at that so right now like the beans if anything we're probably looking for some emergence making sure they're coming up like they're supposed to and stuff like that hoping for moisture without hail and weather disasters at the moment so This is Fridays in the Field, and we've been joined by Jeff Pohl, a second-generation farmer in Bridgeport, talking about his operation. Our series, Friday in the Fields, can be found in podcast form and video form on RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Grain markets closed higher today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. This Week in Wheat might be the story. Yeah, boy, who wants to go home short this weekend? It's a a very scary trade up here, which usually is a a good opportunity to do some marketing. Uh, We've got wheat pushing on the highs from February, corn kind of pushing on the highs from you know, where we've been all week, and then soybeans coming to life here as well. So it feels like next week's going to be some, some volatile time. I, I think we're going we're gonna to push high. It feels like we're going to break out at, at some point here. Whether or not we get above 410 before that July delivery, but I think we'll give it a run. Um, you know, it's dry. It's starting to get dry, and we got the moisture we were supposed to get, and uh, now we've absorbed it, and, you know, the market's a little bit like that, uh, you know, little child where you give them something, and, and now it just wants more of it, and it's always looking at what, what more it's going to get, and I think over the next two to three weeks, uh, what those forecasts tell us, what it's going to be like in early July, uh, will we'll dictate the direction. Well, we're going to look for, what, 406, 407, if we pop above that in the December corn contract, you wonder what might uh, happen in the future. 
Yeah, I think well, it feels to me. I, I know I'm optimistic here, but there's still that run to 420. I, that was that was the level we were at a year ago, and uh, feels like that's that's where we would go um, immediately if there would be a problem. And I think uh, you know the one thing holding this thing back, I think, is the, the July delivery. And I will say that it should be bearish. You think of all these bushels that need to come to market, but it's that case in the wheat market, too. And you look at how July's performed here the last two weeks with, you know, pretty good harvest coming to coming online and, uh, you know, basis, which is actually improving. So, all in all, it's um, pretty optimistic going into this Friday. I, I feel um, there's some follow-through here. Now, don't fall too in love with it. I, I think, you know, we tend to make our highs, at least we have in the last two or three years, right in these, you know, next six weeks. So if it's real bullish here and, and it feels wrong to sell it, it might be the best time to uh, um, to move it. Now, it's all about time period. You know, if you mm. can hold it forever, you're going to get good prices. But shorter term, it feels very good. Will soybeans still maybe start to struggle here soon? Well, they're the sleeping giant right now, and I think uh, you know we have the acreage story that's going to be bearish. And right now, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about. Conditions are pretty good, but again, if we get into dry, warm in, in soybeans, this move we've seen in wheat beans will make that look like child's play. Thanks so much, John. Enjoy your vacation, John Payne, senior marketing analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and you can go to DanielsAgMarketing.com and get more information. As we close four to six higher soybeans, four and a half higher corn, Kansas City wheat eight and a quarter higher, Chicago wheat up 11. Dewey Nelson reporting.